Welcome back to our Busting Addiction and Its Myths podcast. I'm Bruno J, and I have updated the introduction to our episodes in order to address an issue that we cannot ignore, nor do we want to. It looks like COVID-19, the coronavirus, will be with us for some time. Some say for another year or two. People are as frightened as they ever have been. They seek safety for their families above all, protection from the virus and from economic insecurity. But many families also face an added burden, drug addiction and alcoholism in their own homes, and what to do about it. There's something you should know. We, Safe House Rehab Thailand, were founded on the idea of safety. We hold on to the truth that clients deserve to come to a treatment clinic where they can at least feel safe and sound. Devoting ourselves to safety first gives us the firm foundation upon which everything else is constructed. Hence our name, Safe House Rehab Thailand. Thailand has been recognized as one of the world's safest places to be during the pandemic. Further, we at Safe House have made the right adjustments so that clients and staff remain and feel safe and sound. Masks are mandatory as is social distancing, mandatory hand cleaning, daily blood oximeter readings, which is an early warning measure, and if by chance someone, anyone doesn't feel well, the local hospital in Bangbong is only minutes away. My podcast, Busting Addiction and Its Myths, is dedicated to serving families of still-suffering addicts and alcoholics by providing evidence-based advice and insight so that you can make a better informed decision on what to do and what not to do. We are sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, dedicated to a modern approach to recovery, which means that we absolutely outperform traditional rehabs when it comes to diagnostics, technology, and aftercare. To learn how we can help, just visit safehouserehab.com where we post the latest news or send us an email at contact at safehouserehab.com. Hi, I'm Bruno J, and I'd like to call this episode, You Are Not the Victim Here, Even Though You Think You Are. Allow me to explain. Do you know someone who seems to become a victim in nearly every situation? It's possible that they have a victim mentality, sometimes called victim syndrome or a victim complex. Now, there's a difference between a victim mentality and being victimized in the objective sense. For when have we not been an actual victim of something that was indeed no fault of our own? A car accident which someone else caused, or a storm which damaged our home, or some other event which hurt us would qualify us as victims in the real, objective sense. Then you ask the big question, which is the topic of our episode today. Am I, as a loving parent or a significant other, really a victim of my loved one's addiction? I am not the cause of his addiction, after all, so why should I have to bear the consequences? As a significant other of an addict or alcoholic, you are set up to see yourself as a victim. You start to internalize this false narrative, and you then begin to act in accordance with a script which you have written for yourself, by yourself. My intention today is not to banish any trace of victimhood living within you. You will discover that that is your job. But also try to do my job today. I will help you find the help you need, even if at first you say, Meh, I don't need it, I got this. Let's first start with a more general view of the victim mentality and see if you nod your head to these general statements of attitude that suggest victimhood. Number one, bad things happen and will keep on happening. This attitude suggests a sense of hopelessness. There's no way out, no solution, no answer, no end to this torture. 
Unfortunately, if there's an addict in the house, then the attitude statement may actually be true because the disease is progressive. If anything, things could get worse. The things, in quotes, however, refer to the circumstances, the external world, and they are likely impossible to change on your own, while internal change is fully within your grasp. So while circumstances may stay bad or even get worse, internal change is possible, but only if you start to believe in that possibility. Number two, other people or circumstances are to blame for my life being what it is. I often hear in my Al-Anon meetings someone say, why did this happen to me? This person has yet to fully grasp the lesson that I will address here today, that you are a victim only if you believe you are one and act like one. Using the blame word means that the victim is looking to avoid responsibility for the consequences of action or, not, or action not taken by the so-called victim. The suggestion here is that the victim's life is completely out of her hands and that he or she needs to be rescued from this life. That's magical thinking, if you will. The if only, in quotes, is a common refrain that perfectly captures the fantasy world that the victims seem to live in. If only he would stop abusing drugs, my life would instantly become so much better. I actually heard someone say that in an Al-Anon meeting. Number three, any efforts to create change will fail, so there's no point in trying. That's a common attitude among people who believe they are victims. This is the typical victim's idea that implies that change, in quote, is about external things as opposed to an, an internal shift in attitude which is essential to escaping this victimized world by facing reality and thinking in a way that aligns with the truth. A wonderfully helpful little book of daily reflections published by Hazelton, now, now known as Hazelton Betty Ford Institute, is called Courage to Change. The point is that it takes courage to change the things inside yourself, to relinquish cherished ideas that have become a part of your identity and to surrender to new and more constructive truths. People who see themselves as victims struggle with self-confidence and self-esteem. They might believe, for example, that since they couldn't get their addict son to stop using to, despite all the things that they've tried, and despite the hundreds of attempts they've made, then what good are they as parents or as people? If they couldn't do the one job that they should be really good at, it feels like a stab in the heart. A key myth that needs to be smashed is the idea that if the addict whom you love really loved you and cared about you, he or she would stop using. That notion contributes to the idea that you, the caretaker, the caregiver, are really the victim here. Here you are giving your all while the addict whom you love could care less. The reality is that love has nothing to do with it. Addicts and alcoholics who are in the active stages of their disease are in the grip of a powerful compulsion over which he or she has no conscious control whatsoever. Nothing short of a bottoming out that is a wake-up call induced by lots of pain and desperation, with the exception of an intervention, will get the addict or alcoholic to get clean and stay clean and sober. This disease is much more powerful than love. I learned this lesson the hard way. My one and only child, my daughter, decided a while ago that she liked cocaine above anything else in this world. Curious thing is that I was in denial about her drug habit. I didn't want to know. The fact that she attended college a thousand miles away from me uh, contributed to the illusion that she was okay. Once in a while, though, crazy things happened. How she needed money to fly back from Las Vegas when one would think that a round-trip ticket would do the trick. Or the time she got evicted because her boyfriend didn't pay the rent, I called her boyfriend and said, Susie, that's not a real name. 
is the worst coke addict I've ever seen, so I threw her out. Oh, okay. Now I'm waking up to reality. It wasn't until I spoke to a counselor whom I knew that things became oh so clear to me. I asked him how I was doing in light of what I had learned about my daughter. He said, Bruno, you are doing fine. You're going to your AA and your Al-Anon meetings, and you haven't flown down to Texas to rescue your daughter, but I want you to remember this. And you know, looking back, this statement has stuck with me for 25 years or 20 years. That's more accurate. I'd say about 20 years now. Don't let your daughter's disease steal your money or your peace of mind. Whoa. Don't let your daughter's disease steal your money or your peace of mind. So after an hour or so of being on the couch and, and uh, running up a bill of $237, this is what I came away with, and it was worth every penny. That insight and some prayers along with it, and along with talking to my sponsor in AA, gave me the courage to fly to Texas with a mission in mind. That mission had three parts. One, to let my daughter know I knew the deal and how her addiction explained all of her crazy behavior, including the lies that led me to sending her more and more money. Two, let her know it was sink or swim time, no more money or free apartment or car, unless, number three, she would check herself into a rehab, and here are some numbers you can call. I had left, um, I had left a, a note on, on her uh, kitchen counter. I had done my homework. You can probably guess the hardest part. I had to be prepared for the possibility that my daughter would deny everything, would turn her back on me, and maybe never be seen or heard from again. That's a scary thing as a parent, my only kid. I was terrified, but I also found just enough courage to do the right thing for myself. Stop believing that I was a victim and take some positive action that would bust that self-imposed myth. Turns out three weeks after our confrontation and the end of the month deadline was coming, that's when she had to face the truth that she wouldn't get any extra money, that she could be evicted, that she would lose her car, etc. My ex-wife informed me that my daughter had checked herself into a rehab in Austin, Texas. So that was the beginning of her recovery, and thank God for it. I believe I had something to do with that because I had to confront her and, and realize that uh, if I kept enabling her, then she would never seek treatment. She wouldn't seek help. She could continue to milk me for everything I was worth. And I had the money to give at the time. That's, that's another thing. So some powerful lessons were learned arising from this episode I just talked about. Number one, anyone who finds themselves in a relationship with an addict or alcoholic will come to realize that they can make better choices about their role in the relationship, from that of the victim to that of a detached loved one. That can only happen if the so-called victim seeks help from others in an Al-Anon, Codependence Anonymous, or therapeutic setting. Number two, because victims, end quotes, are inherently pessimistic, defeatist, and blaming, they resist taking responsibility for their attitudes and their actions. It's much easier for a victim to blame the external for their emotional reality inside. It's a familiar and predictable place. There's a payoff to their helplessness. Not much effort required to bitch and complain. And still cover for the addict. I stopped covering for my addict after I realized I was in denial about my daughter's disease. And on the advice of my therapist, called her on her lies. Number three, the illusion that victims hold on to is the idea that things either will never change or that things are only about what's outside of themselves. In other words, they are powerless over everything, including their own attitude, when in fact they have not yet changed their perspective on what the problem is. The problem is their worldview. 
When I was in that situation, I felt so much pity for poor old me. I therefore played the role of the martyr, which helped me avoid personal responsibility and became part of my self-identity, my script. My job was to change my personal narrative from helpless victim to a healthy view of a person who was ultimately liberated from the bondage of a disease and the addict that it conquered. Alcoholism, drug addiction is a family disease. Here's what we've learned today. Number one, loved ones, family members where one of you is an addict are perfectly set up to become so-called victims because addictive disorder is imposed upon you without your permission and without warning. Two, the idea that bad things will keep on happening says that things are outside themselves and they overlook the idea that change needs to happen on the inside if there's any chance of a better life. So you no control over things outside of you. Three, blaming others or outside forces is a handy way to duck personal responsibility. It has a payoff. Not much work is required to hold on to an infantile attitude and have people feel sorry for you. Number four, those playing the victim role will continue to do so unless someone close to them, someone in a 12-step meeting or if they're in a therapeutic setting, first shines a light on their self-defeating attitude. And number five, the victim then sees that she is only a victim if she believes she is. Perception had become confused with reality. The shift from self-pity to self-assurance arising from faith then becomes possible. Thank you for tuning in today. It's my fervent hope we've given you new insight and new hope that will lighten your burden. For our hearts go out to all who suffer the effects of addictive disorder. Please give us your feedback at info at safehouserehab.com by all means, ask us any question you like, and we'll answer on air, if you will. And if you want to leave us your first name and city, we'll recognize you, too, of course. This podcast is sponsored by SafeHouseRehab.com, where we take a modern approach to recovery, something all families of those who suffer deserve. Tune in next week for more.